Well, good day and God bless all of you, wherever you are and however you're accessing today's program. Thank you for taking the time to join us for this week's edition of From Here to Eternity, a program dedicated to examining the wisdom of God as we search for guideposts along our way on our journey to eternal life. During this Lenten season, we're going through the Sunday Gospels to search for some clarity as to what it is we have to do to get from here to eternity. In the first Sunday of Lent, we heard the story of the temptation of Christ in the desert, and we talked about Satan and the weapons he uses in his efforts to steal us away from the love of God. In the second week of Lent, we heard the story of the uh, transfiguration of Jesus, and we heard God tell us what it is that we need to do if we wish to resist the temptations of Satan when he said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, listen to him. And this week, my, um, we will hear the story of the woman at the well and we're going to find out exactly uh, the power that reconciliation has in our life. So let's talk about the story of the woman at the well. The story is meant to remind us that God invites. He does not condemn. God knows that once we experience the divine life, the living water welling up inside of us, we do not have to be uh, condemned. We know that we must change and we willingly begin to do so. You know, I always feel, wouldn't it be nice if we could sit down at a well like the woman was able to with Christ and just talk about life in general and about our own salvation and our own experiences. Well, the truth is, the compassion, uh, the healing touch that Jesus offers is still alive and well among us. Jesus gave this gift to the twelve and through them this healing ministry has continued. Jesus continues to call disciples today and challenge them to proclaim the good news and heal the brokenhearted wherever they may be found. By virtue of their ordination and through the sacrament of reconciliation, the bishops and priests in our church have been summoned by Christ and given the power and authority over sin and death. Do we truly believe and understand this and seek out this healing as the crowds of people did with Jesus 2,000 years ago? Or are we like the Pharisees and the Sadducees who fail to see our need for this forgiveness and healing? The choice belongs to you and me. We can cling to our love of self, our attachment to the things and pleasures that this world has to offer, to our endless pursuit of comfort and security, to our insatiable desire to be appreciated and recognized for our accomplishments. Or we can choose an altogether different path, a path of healing and love, a path of 
restoration and community, a path to salvation and wholeness. Did you know that the Pope goes to confession once a week? Well, is it because he is so much more sinful than you and me? Or is it because he gets it? If we want to see the truth clearly, if we want the strength that we required to follow Jesus on this journey from here to eternity, we need to regularly have sin and darkness banished from our heart, our mind, and our soul. In Mark's Gospel, the rich young man asked Jesus, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the first thing that Jesus tells him is that you must observe the Ten Commandments. To which the rich young man says, Teacher, all of these I have observed from my youth. And Jesus looks at him with love, we are told, and says, In effect, really, you've kept all the commandments since your youth? Well, then there's only one thing left for you to do. Sell all you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. What we might miss here is that Jesus is not telling us that we must do more than keep the commandments. He's telling us how to keep the commandments. The commandments do not just call us to not steal, but to give generously. The commandments don't just call us to not kill, but to love our neighbor, even our enemies. Jesus did not come to do away with the commandments. He came to teach us how to observe them in a whole new way, so that like the rich young man, we might not deceive ourselves and think, I'll be okay when judgment comes. Let me put it this way. If I asked you, do you believe in God? I am sure that we would all answer, well, of course, I believe in God. And if I asked, is there a heaven and a hell? Then I suspect we might say, well, sure, I guess there is a heaven and a hell. But if I asked, do you think that God actually sends people to hell? Well, then we might begin to have some doubts. We might say, well, God loves and desires that all of us spend eternity with heaven. I'm sure that if there are people in hell, it is the worst of the worst. If I went on to ask, are you a good person? I'm confident that most of us would say, well, sure, I'm a good person. I, I, I'm not perfect, but I try to do the best that I can. If I then said, well, do you think you've kept all the commandments? I might hear something like, well, I've kept most of them. I haven't killed anyone. At which point I might remind you that in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, you have heard it said that whoever kills will be liable to judgment. But I say, whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say, everyone who has looked at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If you ask me, Deacon Patrick, have you ever told a lie? I would have to say yes. If you ask me, have you ever stolen even a small thing? I would have to say yes. If you ask me, have you been angry with your brother? 
I would definitely have to say yes. And if you ask me, have you ever looked at a woman with lust? I would sadly have to say yes. So I've only looked at four of the commandments, and by my own admission, I'm a lying, thieving, murderous adulterer. So on the day that I must stand before the Lord, if I am to be judged based on these commandments, will I be judged innocent or guilty? And if I am guilty, will I be sentenced to heaven or to hell? The good news is that God has created a way for justice to be served, but for me not to suffer the full consequences of my sinful choices. But I must seek this reconciliation with God and my neighbors. It will not be forced upon me. But the payoff for regularly seeking God's grace in the sacrament of reconciliation is not just the joy of eternal life in heaven. It is the peacefulness and joy of our daily life here on earth that it brings. I think we sometimes wonder why there seems to be a barrier between us and God? Why our prayers don't seem to always be answered? Why we can't hear God's voice clearly and know what He wishes us to do? The reason may well be that we have put an obstacle, a barrier between God's grace and our soul. We've made sinful choices. We failed to listen to God and to be obedient to His teachings. And we have done nothing to put things right. In effect, we have blocked God's grace from flowing into and through our lives and into those we care about. In many cases, this blockage that sin creates has been what I would call a slow buildup over the years. I compare it to plaque in our arteries. And, if we know, and we know that if we don't do something about the plaque in our arteries, it will eventually lead to our physical death. Similarly, if we don't do something about the plaque in our spiritual arteries, it will eventually lead to the death of our souls. So the first thing that we must do is remove the buildup, examine our lives from God's perspective. Look back over the history of our life and resist the temptation to justify and rationalize the choices that we have made. You know, it doesn't matter how far in the past the disordered choice was. It doesn't matter that at the time we didn't even recognize it as a disordered choice. What matters is that we face the truth and clear away the plaque that has built up. This will clear the arteries of our soul, the pathways that allow God's grace to flow freely into our lives once again. But then, just like changing our diet after a heart attack, we must make better choices as we move further down the journey. We must work to change our thought patterns and habits through a deeper and more meaningful prayer life. We must do it by send, spending more time in God's presence in the Scriptures and by regularly examining our lives against God's standards 
not our own, and then frequently seeking His mercy and forgiveness for our failings. The story of the woman at the well reminds us that we are made for God, and it is He alone that can satisfy the thirst in our souls. It shows us the ways in which we have turned that thirst towards something besides God. In the woman's case, it was one meaningless relationship after meaningless relationship after meaningless relationship. And it helps us to realize that our thirst will never be satisfied with these substitutes for God's grace. In these substitutes, we continue to thirst. The final lesson I think we get from the story of the woman at the well teaches us today that about granting forgiveness to others. The fact that the woman at the well appears at the well at about noon, long after the other women of the town would have come for their daily water supply, indicates that she has been ostracized. She is looked down upon as a harlot and a sinner. She is not welcome in polite company. And yet, once she receives the healing touch of Jesus, she cannot help but spread the good news. She rushes to the very people who have <clears throat> treated her as something not worthy of their company and invites them to experience the same healing, the same revelation that God is among us. What Jesus wants us to see is that granting forgiveness is not about condoning or excusing sin, it is about becoming victorious over sin removing its power over us. We might ask ourselves today, who am I not willing to forgive? I think oftentimes our worst fear is that if we forgive this person, they will hurt us again. But forgiveness does not require us to trust or be vulnerable to that person again. They may not be trustworthy. What forgiveness does is remove the hurt, the pain, the anger that we are carrying around with us. The person we forgive may not even know that we have forgiven them. The hurt may have been so long ago and the person may not even be alive anymore. But granting forgiveness will free us from the chains in which we have imprisoned ourselves. This Lenten season, let us ask God for the courage to return to Him in repentance, and thus experience the joy of a restored relationship with Him. Let us ask Him to help us let go of any anger and bitterness that we harbor, and thus be able to grant forgiveness to those who have hurt us. I'd like to thank all of you out there who share a commitment to the goal of finding the way from here to eternity and leading others on that journey. It is my hope that God will continue to rain down His blessings upon you and your family, and it is my prayer that He grant us all the mercy and forgiveness that we so frequently need as we stumble along the way. Be sure to join us for our next presentation of From Here to Eternity. Until then, continue to glorify God by your life.